<laughs> I'm having so much fun with this app. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh crap, I'm recording. Um, <laughs> I've had a lot of questions from the start before I even got onto this app. Because I've always wondered, how do I reach out to others? How do I get myself heard? How do I get paid to even get heard? The answer to this question is so easy. It's not even funny. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. So if you always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Like up here? Or right here? Yeah. Pictures taken today, are we? Tuesday, that's right.
beautiful. Like I can follow it pretty well.
upon the earth. And after my sin is then thus destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God. My heart faints with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
either by spirit or by word or by letter, as though from us to the effect that they to the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the lawless one is the end, the one destined for destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. Do not, do you not remember that I told you these things when I was still with you? But we must also, we must always give thanks to God for you, siblings, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit, and through belief in the truth. For this purpose, he called you to our proclamation of the good news, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, siblings, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by our letters. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, God our Father, who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. The word of the Lord. Thank you to God.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore, because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living. For to him all of them are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. She 
society sorts of people, they were told that life is going to be hard. You will earn your bread by the sweat of your brow, and you will suffer pain in childbirth. Those of us who have raised children but not given birth to them realize that there is some pain involved in that sometimes, and all of us, all of us who deal with children, whether they're small or grown up, all of us realize that dealing with people sometimes leads to grief and disappointment and hardship. Life is hard. What's more than that? Temptation and test and trial will be constantly nipping at our heels. So as barely to give us a moment's respite, a moment's peace. Life is hard, full of adversity and difficulty and grief and disappointment. No one understood this in the Old Testament better than Job. Job, we heard just a snippet of that beautiful book today. Life is hard. It wasn't always that way for Job, we're told. Now, he may have had disappointments earlier in his life, but, but Job was held up to be a paragon of virtue. Job was a wealthy, blessed man with children and flocks and herds and possessions of all kinds. God was very proud of Job. The story goes, up to heavenly courts, God is looking down at all of humanity and says, Now look at Job, for example, my servants. There is not a person on earth more righteous than Job. And then the Savior, the accuser, the prosecuting attorney in the heavenly court, takes God up on that and says, Well, you know, Job is only righteous because he is prosperous and blessed. That is the way that people thought back in those days. Being prosperous and blessed was a sign of God's favor. And being poor and misery was a sign of God's disfavor. We know better than that now, I hope. But back in Job's day, clearly that was the sign. So, of course, Job is righteous because he has everything that he needs. Take things away from him, the Satan says, and see if Job doesn't become just like everybody else. And God takes the Satan up on that argument and says, Okay, I have faith in Job. Do your worst. Just don't kill him. So, blink an eye. Job loses everything. Children, flocks, herds, riches, property, gone. Tragically. Unexplainable. And yet, Job still is faithful. Job's wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Job wouldn't do that. So the Satan came back a second time and afflicted Job with all kinds of boils and skin ailments. If you know the story, right? Job was in misery. He was grieving emotionally and spiritually because all who he knew and loved and treasured and valued was gone. And he was in misery physically, for he was afflicted. Job sits in a pile of ashes. Job refuses to curse. 
curse God. Then Job's friends come, and they sit with him for a week. Then these friends open their mouths and begin to explain to Job that Job must have done something wrong because God surely would not inflict, God would not allow this kind of punishment to Job had to have done something equally as grievous to merit all of this misery. And Job said, no, I know that I am innocent. This didn't happen to me because I sinned. There must be another explanation for it. And his friends kept trying to get Job to change his mind, to agree with them, and Job would have nothing of it. But Job did. Job did ask God why. Job tried to make sense of his misery in his own mind, with his own sense, his own experience, and we're told in the midst of all of this questioning, Job remained faithful. He did not say anything that was contrary, that was offensive to God. Job simply asked the question, why, and tried to make sense of his misfortune. In the passage that we heard today, Job knows that in the midst of his misery, his Redeemer lives. The Hebrew word for that is Goel, G-O-E-L. My Redeemer lives and has even a stronger connotation than that. My Avenger lives, the one who stands on my side. And in the Hebrew in the tradition, I discover that it has a sense of a family relationship, of a family member who has your back. So if you have been wrong, you better believe that one of your siblings is going to have your back, is going to march right up to that person who did you wrong and settle the score and set things straight. Job says, I know that my avenger lives. And at last, at last, I will see my avenger face to face. At last, I will see God. Passage that we read today is one of the opening anthems for the rite of burial of the dead. When we have a funeral in this place, we read that passage. I know that my Redeemer lives, and the blast of I will see God, who is a friend and no stranger. A family member, one who writes the wrongs, one who acts on the Now, Job remains faithful in all of this. And finally, God decides to respond to Job. God doesn't answer Job. Job never gets to answer why did all this misfortune happen to me. Instead, God basically puts Job in Job's place. Where were you, Job, when I created the heavens and the earth and everything that was in it? God responded to Job out of love. God didn't directly answer Job because that reminds us, we who are sitting here today, that there is great mystery in life. And we don't always get the answers to the hardest questions that we have. After God responded to Job, Job remained faithful. Job's good fortune was restored to him. Job, in a sense, was resurrected from the dead. Job was set on to live his life continuing in righteousness and goodness. 
Jonah was faithful. God also was faithful. Had great faith in Jonah. Jonah remained steadfast in his misery. God was faithful in engaging Jonah in conversation, even if it wasn't an answer that Jonah was looking for. God could see with God's own eyes and could hear with God's own ears if we can attribute eyes and ears to the Almighty. God could see and hear the human misery that Job faced. Now for us as Christians, this notion of we go hell and redeem the adventure, we identify, of course, in the person of Jesus Christ. We know that our manager is one who is family, one who calls us fellow siblings, children of God. Jesus is that redeemer, that avenger. And one of the great mysteries and treasures of the incarnation, God becoming one of us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. God loving us so much that God simply seeing and hearing human misery was not enough for God. God perhaps wanted to experience that firsthand. And so he became one of us, Jesus of Nazareth, a man fully human, who understood the depths of human suffering, the man who wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus, the one who walked among the miserable of the earth, one who touched and healed and fed and taught. God fully experiences the hardships and hardness and joys of humanity through the person of Jesus. Just as Job was able to cry out from his ash pit in the midst of his despair, God, why is this happening to me? So also Jesus from the cross was able to say those words, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Were there any truer words spoken by a human than those in the midst of sorrow and agony? God, where are you in this? Yet that first verse of the 22nd Psalm of Jesus prayed from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That psalm turns around to be a psalm of redemption and hope. The words that were on Jesus' lips when he was facing his worst were words of human honesty and anguish and pain, but also words of hope. <coughs> Knowing that God is present even in the midst of our misery, even if we don't get the answers that we're asking. And Jesus himself calls us no longer servants, but friends, family. Jesus is that redeemer, that avenger, that Goel, who has our back. Now I look around this room this morning. I know most of you. I know some of you pretty well. Self-doubt, 
struggles with finances and work, interpersonal relationships, rejection, <coughs> and life is hard. The gift that we have as siblings of Jesus, the gift that we have as children of God, the blessing that we have as disciples and friends of Jesus, the opportunity that we have as Christians to witness is to do our very best in the midst of our own hardship and struggling and suffering, to remain faithful, to ask God the hard questions for sure, to cry out from our own crosses, my God, my God, why have you abandoned? But to know deep in our bones that God is faithful and the presence of Jesus Jesus has our back. We may not understand in the moment. We may not catch the mystery until our lives are nearly over. We will not understand fully until we reach the other side and see the one face to face who created us loving in the image of God loves us so much as to become one of us, to experience our pain and our joys, our hopes and our sadness. The one through it all remained faithful. You know, it's easy to attribute faithfulness to Jesus. Got that quote in the Bible along with you. But we also have the example in Job. One who had the courage to ask God. Yes, we knew deep in his bones that his Redeemer is dangerous. One day all, all will be clear. My friends, can we have that same gift? Can you in the midst of your misery and struggles know of God's abiding love and presence? You know that God feels what you are going.
and all who suffer, for refugees, prisoners, and all who are in danger, that they may be relieved and protected. We praise you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this congregation, for those who are present, and for those who are absent, that we may be delivered from hardness of heart, and show forth your glory in all that we do. We praise you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our enemies and those who wish us harm, and for all whom we have injured or offended, we praise you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For ourselves, for the forgiveness of our sins, and for the grace of the Holy Spirit to amend our lives, we praise you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who have commended themselves to our prayers, for our families, friends, and neighbors, that being free from anxiety, they may live in joy, peace, and health. We praise you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the continued healing of the waters of this city, and of all who are affected by the flood water crisis, we praise you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who have died in the communion of your church, and those whose faith is known to you alone, that, with all the saints, that they may have rest in that place where there is no pain or grief, but life eternal. We praise you, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. Rejoicing in the fellowship of the ever blessed Virgin Mary, blessed Paul the Apostle, and all the saints, <laughs> let us commend ourselves and one another and all our life to Christ our God. To you, O Lord our God. For yours is the majesty, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Turning to page 360. Let us confess our sins against God.
to complete his work in the world and to bring to fulfillment the sanctification of all. When the hour had come for him to be glorified by you, his heavenly Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. At supper with them, Jesus took bread, and gratefully giving thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. <coughs> After supper, Jesus took a cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Father, we now celebrate this memorial of our redemption, recalling Christ's death and his descent among the dead, proclaiming his resurrection and ascension to your right hand, awaiting his coming in glory, and offering to you from the gifts you have given us this bread and this cup. We praise you and we bless you. against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Hallelujah, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia.
eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world of peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please join for Simon Fellowship in the parish hall immediately after the conclusion of this morning's celebration. I close the hymnals in the blue hymnal, number 625, by inviting Sam. Through the blessing, love, and mercy of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon each of you and remain in the now always. Amen.
Santo, grazie, un autore un autore che cito spesso a lezione scriveva che affinché una istituzione viva lungamente è necessario ritrarla spesso verso il suo principio. Gli anniversari rotondi hanno anche questa funzione. Servono per l'esercizio morale e intellettuale del ressourcement, una parola così cara alla mia generazione educata nel concilio, come metodo e come ermeneutica per situarsi dinamicamente nei processi di cambiamento. Per questo siamo felici di essere qui, alla sua presenza, gli studenti, i laureati, e aggiungo gli laureati honoris causa, il personale e i docenti della LUNSA, le nostre famiglie, le autorità che ci onorano della loro amicizia e cento bambini con i loro insegnanti delle scuole primarie in cui le nostre studentesse e i nostri studenti fanno tirocinio. Eccoci! E per sottolineare, anche dal punto di vista formale e istituzionale, questo momento così importante per noi alla sua presenza, abbiamo scelto di fare coincidere la cerimonia di inizio dell'anno accademico 2019-2020, ottantesimo dalla Fondazione, che ora dichiaro formalmente aperto con questo incontro di festa, di comunità, di rendimento di grazie alla provvidenza e a tutti coloro che lungo 80 anni si sono spesi per la LUNSA e insieme di riflessione. Questo esercizio di confronto con la nostra storia, la nostra identità e le urgenze di oggi e del prossimo futuro per trarne un nuovo propellente. L'università è una istituzione veneranda che esprime i grandi principi e valori della tradizione dell'umanesimo cristiano, ma, come tutte le istituzioni, ha bisogno di molta cura. Università italiana ed europea, avvertiamo il senso di malessere e di disorientamento, accompagnato da abbondanti dosi di narcosi, da venature di violenza, e da un inaccettabile crescere delle diseguaglianze e dei conflitti portato anche di una trasversale ideologia mercatista che si respira. 
e cui ci sentiamo di dovere articolare proprio facendo università, ovvero didattica, ricerca e impegno per la società di articolare delle risposte con coraggio, senso critico e creatività. Ci aiutano Padre Santo le sue iniziative sulla sostenibilità e la cura del creato, sull'economia ad Assisi, sul patto educativo il prossimo mese di maggio e ricordo solo queste, le più recenti tra le tante per le quali i colleghi e le colleghe, le studentesse e gli studenti siamo alacremente al lavoro. Così ha inteso la LUMSA la nostra fondatrice, la venerabile Luigia Tincani, pronta a farsi carico di una iniziativa rapida della Santa Sede in un momento storico tragico. E vogliamo essere fedeli a questa prospettiva, così semplice e concreta, che ci porta a mettere al centro sempre la persona delle nostre studentesse e dei nostri studenti e le urgenze e le richieste, anche le più esigenti, che ci pone il contesto nel quale operiamo, ecclesiale, civile e sociale. Un percorso di servizio e, ovviamente e rigorosamente, di qualità che vogliamo continuare a condividere con le altre università e le forze vive della società in un largo orizzonte internazionale che non possiamo non avere qui, al centro di Roma, come anche nelle nostre sedi di Palermo e di Taranto, al centro del Mediterraneo, in uno spirito di dialogo, di rispetto, di collaborazione, di inclusione, aperto a tutto il bene. Eccoci, Padre Santo, grazie per averci accolto, per la sua guida, la sua testimonianza e per quanto ci dirà per continuare e migliorare con la sua benedizione e secondo le sue indicazioni il nostro cammino. fratelli e sorelle, sono contento di festeggiare con voi l'ottantesimo compleanno della libera Università Maria Santissima Assunta. Saluto cordialmente il Rettore, il Professor Francesco Bonini e lo ringrazio per le sue cortesi parole. Saluto i Cardinali, i Vescovi, in particolare il cardinale Giovanni Laiolo, presidente dell'amministrazione dell'Università. Estendo il saluto alle autorità accademiche, ai docenti, al personale tecnico-amministrativo, alle famiglie e agli amici di questa istituzione. E saluto voi, cari studenti e studentesse, che costituite il centro dell'attività accademica. Grazie per la vostra festosa accoglienza. Siete convenuti oggi 
per festeggiare nello sviluppo dell'Ateneo. 80 anni o sono e sono nacque per rispondere a una necessità che era allora ed è tuttora impellente, cioè quella di formare educatori, in particolare educatrici, aprendo il mondo dell'alta formazione alle donne. Da prima si puntò a preparare docenti per gli istituti medi e superiori e poi allargando il numero dei corsi di laurea a formare professionisti nei diversi campi. Una impresa di servizio, come l'ha voluta la vostra fondatrice, la venerabile Luigia Trincani, che a sua volta si ispirava a Santa Caterina di Siena, donna indomita e appassionata della Chiesa. Oggi desidero riconsegnarvi questo impegno situandolo nel contesto del cambiamento d'epoca che stiamo vivendo. Ispirando, ci ispirano due santi che ho avuto la gioia di proclamare in questi anni, Paolo VI e John Henry Newman, due pastori che hanno vissuto l'università e che hanno proposto con il vostro stesso impegno pastorale e culturale rispettivamente una coscienza universitaria e un'idea di università. In effetti, il termine stesso, università, designa una comunità, ma anche un'idea di convergenza di saperi in una ricerca che fornisca verità e senso del dialogo tra tutti gli uomini e donne del mondo. È un compito alto di cui essere consapevoli e di cui essere degni. A tale riguardo intendo consegnare a voi quanto ho detto ai vostri colleghi di un'altra università romana. Dovete impegnarvi anche come università in progetti di condivisione e di servizio agli ultimi per far crescere nella nostra città di Roma il senso di appartenenza ad una patria comune, lavorando con progetti anche piccoli che favoriscono l'incontro e la solidarietà si recupera insieme un senso di fiducia nella vita. L'università comporta infatti un impegno non solo formativo, ma educativo, che parte dalla persona e arriva alla persona, impegno che non può che qualificare una università cattolica dove l'aggettivo cattolica non introduce una distensione, ma semmai un surplus di esemplarità. Si rende necessaria un'educazione che insegni a pensare criticamente e che offre un percorso di maturazione nei valori. In particolare sulla dignità della persona umana e il bene comune. Da qui l'esigenza di rinnovare l'assunzione di responsabilità di fronte agli impegni che qualificano l'istituzione universitaria in questa epoca in cui si accelerano i processi comunicativi, tecnologici e interconnessionali globali. Primo, anzitutto una responsabilità di coerenza, ovvero di fedeltà e di comunità. La comunità universitaria lavora sempre per il futuro, ma lo fa con una forte consapevolezza delle radici e una realistica percezione del presente. 
Per questo guardo con fiducia alle nuove generazioni che si formano in università, protagonisti consapevoli di quel cambiamento che nasce dalla visione e dalla coerenza a partire da una prospettiva comunitaria. In questo senso la qualità e lo stile delle relazioni che vivete nell'università è fondamentale. Secondo, ne consegue una responsabilità culturale e direi missionaria davanti al mondo. Che cosa è l'università? Qual è il suo compito? Si chiedeva Papa Benedetto XVI rivolgendosi alla più antica università della capitale e rispondeva così «Penso si possa dire che la vera e intima origine dell'università stia nella brama di conoscenza che è propria dell'uomo. Egli vuol sapere che cosa sia tutto ciò che lo circonda, vuole volontà. Non dobbiamo avere timore di usare questa parola in uno spirito di dialogo sincero. Verità, libertà, bene. Su questa direttrice auspico che la vostra università sappia offrire una formazione in cui trasversalmente al sapere curriculare ci sia spazio per la formazione integrale della persona. Terzo, ecco allora la responsabilità sociale dell'università. Attivare i circuiti virtuosi di sviluppo integrale con le forze vive della società. Serve il coraggio di mettersi in gioco, aprire le sedi a Palermo, a Taranto e a Roma alle antiche e nuove povertà. Quarto, vi è infine una responsabilità interuniversitaria. L'Europa è stata la culla dell'università, ma deve ritrovarne il senso. La vostra università continui a lavorare nel sistema universitario a tutti i livelli e in particolare con le università cattoliche affinché si crei un clima fruttuoso di cooperazione, di scambio e di mutuo aiuto nel costruire progetti didattici e di ricerca innovativi orientati a quella carità intellettuale che non fa sconti alla verità e che non si accontenta di mediocrità. Tutti voi, studenti, docenti e responsabili della comunità universitaria, incoraggio ad aprire i cuori e le menti, a non accontentarsi, voi studenti prima di tutto, degli spartiti correnti del pensiero apparentemente egemone di un mondo in cui diversità e conflitto. Possiate sentire la sana ambizione di aggiungere qualcosa di originale, che sia anche concreto e utile. Voi giovani, non abbiate timore di essere esigenti con i vostri docenti, che per essere maestri devono essere anche testimoni. E voi docenti, non temete di essere esigenti con i vostri studenti, perché esprimano il meglio di sé. Riconsegno, cari fratelli e sorelle, il motto dell'università, infide et humanitate, quel et significa educazione integrale in un mondo globalizzato e frammentato, pieno di contraddizioni che richiede tanto lavoro insieme, un lavoro serio, creativo, artigianale che passa attraverso la mente, il cuore e le mani. 
Maria assunta in cielo, continui ad essere riferimento e guida del vostro cammino che oggi si rinnova. Vi ringrazio di questo gradito incontro e di cuore benedico ciascuno di voi e il vostro lavoro. E voi, per favore, non dimenticatevi di pregare per me. Grazie. Domino Bovisco, Sindomen Domini Benedictum, Editorium Nostrum in Nomine Domini. Benedica Vos, Omnipotenteus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen.